96-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids! Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. listeners of Taste and Distinction, and welcome to the second episode of our second season here at Hey Kids Comics. Taste and Distinction. Taste that, and Distinction. Is that what brings them to us, the Taste and Distinction? Yes, I, I think so. Right. I think you have to have a certain modicum of taste and distinction amongst the plethora of comic book podcasts that are out there. Podcasts. Podcasts. To zero... That's a podcast by Peter David, by the way. Okay. The, to zero in on this one specific oasis in the middle of a desert of podcasts to latch on to us, to listen to us, to feed back to us, to give us their opinions on what we say. I think you have to be distinctful. You've thought about this a lot, haven't you? No, I just made that up, I which know. is why I use the word distinctful, which I'm convinced isn't actually a real word. Distincting? Distincting. The distincting tings. That's not my name. Well, what is them? I don't know. I don't know who I am anymore. I've forgotten. I've been renumbered at number one. Have you? And I've completely forgotten my past or my future. Do you have I've been new, de-aged. Do you have any... I'll have you... All right, well, let, let's go past. off script, should we? See, this, we, I've got as far as line one yeah. of the script. And should we address the elephant in the room? Uh, it was announced he's, he's, this um, week... DC Comics have relaunched or will be relaunching every single one of their books as a number one. No, there's a rumour going around that action and detective may stay. Is there? Yeah. Because I was just going to say, there's a part of it that thinks action and detective comics should maintain the number. There's a rumour that they're staying. But see, there's a part of me that actually thinks that. See, I'm on a fence with this. When I read that news, I'll be brutally honest with you, I didn't care. I initially thought, oh, okay, fair enough, whatever. Because at the end of the day, I love my comics. I'm passionate about my comics. But they're only comics. They're not really worth getting that upset about. And it's just, I don't know, there's been relaunches before and reboots before. And and has it really mattered in the grand scheme of things? And the other thing is that, let's be honest, I'm knocking at the door of 40 next year. So comics really shouldn't be aimed at me. Certainly not superhero comics. Superhero comics should be aimed at you. And you, young Adam. They should be aimed at 15 to 20-year-olds. And if the only way you're going to get people to read them of that age is to relaunch them at number one, fine, whatever. Sorry. Oh, okay. Adam checked the dictionary and distinctful is not a word, but dictionary is, and I can't say that. So. Dictionary? Yeah. Is that like a dinky version? Yes, it's a dinky version Comes of the dictionary. Comes in little matchboxes. Yes, like a little car. So, there's a part of me that's like, I'm not really bothered, you know, just because something's relaunching at number one, it won't get me to check out Aquaman. Well, or Doom Patrol. You get a Superman. I, but once again, I may check out Superman and Batman because I like Graham, Superman and Batman. Grant Morrison's writing Superman. Is he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So who's writing Batman? Um, don't know. 
I'm not sure about Batman Incorporated. They've had to rush titles to get them finished before. I know. See, that's once again the level of professionalism in the current comics industry. They can't get books on time now. So you announce that Jeff Johns and Jim Lee are going to do Justice League. How many issues of that do you give it before it falls behind the shipping? Six, two, two. You're not very optimistic, are you? No. And it's, I don't mean you don't know. I, I mean, I noticed they've changed Superman's costume, and stuff like that always just makes me think that's what the film's going to be. Yeah. And I, I didn't notice that they've changed Batman costumes, they've changed Wonder Woman's outfit. Why have they all got colours? Have you not seen that cover of JLA yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. They've uh, all got collars. Have you also heard How's he going to hide that under his shirt? They don't think of stuff like that. Maybe he it down. That would be silly. Yeah. But then there is this thing, how does he hide his cape under his shirt? And where do his boots go? I've never been bothered by that, have I? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, have you heard the deal with his uh, ring, by the way? Whose ring? Green Lantern's. Mm. Um, the finished inked and coloured cover. Green Lantern didn't have a ring. So because of all this going around, Jim Lee uh, dished out the pencils, and there was a ring on it. So who's got rid of the ring? The Inca, maybe. But isn't Green Lantern shtick that he has a ring? Yeah. Okay. So the cover to this big flagship title has been messed up. Brilliant. Already. I'll have to have a look Months at before it's out. Yeah, I did notice that Superman didn't have his red shorts on anymore. Mm. And his boots and belts are different. Are they? Because well, I couldn't see his boots on the, the image no, that was posted. No, on Bleeding Cool, someone's just done a quick sketch of what they look like now. Uh, okay, fair enough. So anyway, that's us being dead excited about DC's relaunch in September. Mm. I'm far more excited that we've relaunched at number one. Have we? Yes, last week. We didn't relaunch. Yes, we did. We have new origins. We do, yeah. We have new origins. Cool. We have a new origin. And we've been de-aged and we've got new costumes. What's my new origin? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we found you in swaddling clothes. Right. Floating down a river. Do we have like a member who pops up every once in a while who's like a gay Hispanic woman just to show all our listeners that we're down on uh, equality and diversity? I suppose we could have a gay Hispanic, Hispanic woman. Yeah. Mrs. Superman. Enoin. Anyway... For people just checking us out due to the lovely bits of promotion other kind podcasters have been doing for us, we thank you Michael Bailey, John Wilson, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. The premise of our show is simplicity itself. I pick a comic, I talk about it. My son picks a comic, he talks about it. Simple. Normally, we have a thematic link to the comics we talk about. And starting next week, we're going to have a thematic link to the comics yes, we're talking we about. So for the past couple of weeks, leading up to the end of season one, before our big Action 900 issue, we decided to do this random comics thing, but it's ended up being harder work. It has. Because you pick an issue, and then you read it, and you go, oh, I'll pick another one. No, I don't want to do that. I mean, the issue Michael's picked today, for example, it wasn't that issue this time yesterday. No. And at the last minute, he said, I don't want to do that one, I want to do this one, mm. which just confused me. I'm and sorry. this one, uh, the one that I have picked, but we're not going to tell you yet, because we're big teases. They're going to find out like five minutes. Shush! <laughs> ruin it. I'm sorry. Suspenseful. Uh, I just happened across when I was... I spent all last Friday alphabetizing my comic collection. Don't look at me like that, it's not that sad. No, no, I'm... Because no. they were all a mess, weren't they? Yes. They were all over the place. Next week, we need to work on the CDs. And they were in boxes with... 
what was written in the box, but what was written on the box wasn't in the box anymore, yeah. and they were all just a mess. Now I've alphabetised it. So now I've alphabetised everything. Alphabetizing even though is some alphabetising is slightly off. Even though some all the Superman books are together, whether they're action comics or Adventures mm. of Superman or the Man sense. of Steel or whatever. But that's I understand my well, Spider-Man's aren't. But that's another you thing. You have Ultimate Spider-Man and Spider-Man separated. <laughs> Marvel team up. I have Marvel team up under M. And yeah. Not under S. Yes. Marvel team up. Mm. Why would it be under S? Because Spider-Man was in it most of the time. What was it? What about Ultimate Marvel team up? Ultimate Marvel team up goes under you for <laughs> Ultimate Marvel team but up. But just, just, but it's Brandon. Yeah. The Ultimate is just the Brandon, really. Yes. Does Ultimate Spider-Man cross over to Amazing Spider-Man? No. Would I have to dig out a couple of issues of Ultimate Spider-Man to read Amazing Spider-Man crossing over into Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man? No. So Ultimate Spider-Man can go off on its own. But bugger off into the, the authority section. was still DC, even though it was Wildstorm title. What's that got to do with the price of fish? I'm just saying you got your ultimate thing and your Spider-Man thing, right? Yeah, and I would put the authority under A, and I would put whatever planetary under P, just because they were published by the same company. I wouldn't put them next to each other. That's so then a you dumbass idea. So in that case, then you put you just proven my point. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. I've proven that your point has no point. No, because then you got your Spider-Man, your Ultimate Spider-Man, they go together because they're both Spider-Man. You're, you're, you're totally unpointed. Spider-Man is Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man doesn't matter if it's Ultimate Spider-Man or not. The Ultimate yes, is branding. You put them together. No, I don't. It's Spider-Man. No. Yes. It isn't. Yeah. No. I will explain why. So you put All-Star Batman Apparently separate I won't explain Batman. why. Have you kept All-Star Superman different from Superman? No, All-Star Superman is under S. But well, that's so only... All-Star. That's only because I made a mess with the alphabetising. Yeah. And so All-Star Superman hadn't been put away when I got to the S's. And I just went, oopsie, yeah, and put it under S. You made that mess. Yes, I, I made a mistake there. I wouldn't be surprised to find All-Star Batman was actually under A. Hmm. Possibly. But no, you made that all-star mess. Yes, I, uh, I did, yes. Uh, yes, I made a mess. Not me. Anyway. It's not that I hid it from you. Shut up. I am Andrew Leyland. I am Michael Leyland. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! I'm Iron Man. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Anyway. But first, we have a glorious reader feedback. Did you hear that? That's me it's waving the feedback into not, the microphone. Not, not as sexy as this, though. You leave my comic alone. But listen to that. Child of Stone. It's a very That's heavy one. sexy as that sound. It's a very heavy... If you throw that comic one more time, I'm going to smack you. Child endangerment. I can live with that one. I only paid 50p for that one. I only paid 50p for the other one, but that was 30 years ago. <laughs> We've had feedback. We love feedback from our lovely listeners, who we've already mentioned are very... have taste... Yes, and, I, I didn't. I messed and that. They listen. Yes, to, that all, to, to our glorious free entertainment. Indeed. Yes. We should start charging for this. Luke Jackinetti emailed us with some questions that I think you raised. Did I? In Action 900, which no. was our fantastic season one I finale. I think I answered them for you, but you just wouldn't accept it. All right. Brainiac is an alien currently, so he would feel emotions. Okay, Did you I, answer I, that I question? Asked that, I asked that question. So, the, so thank Luke. Thanks, Luke. There you go. Excellent. The Eradicator is still the Eradicator. He's been hanging around in Markovia with Geoforce over in the Outsiders book. That I, makes sense to me. I told you Because that. I know where Markovia is, and I know who Geoforce is, because I used to read Batman and the Outsiders. Does yeah. that answer make any sense to you, though? Yeah. Good. Excellent. I'm very happy about that. Death and all of the Sandman characters are DC-owned. Because we were talking about whether Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. created Sandman, and whether it's creator-owned stuff. They did create Sandman. 
Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Being as they were Vertigo characters, they did not normally show up in regular DC comics out of respect. I did not know this next point. Death was supposed to show up in Adventures of Superman 500, but that was nixed Which by the higher-ups. The one where Superman's dead, and Jonathan Kent has a heart attack. Oh, Superman's life Jonathan force. Jonathan Kent teams up with Superman. Yes, helps right. him back into his body to survive. Very similar to the Limbo episode of Magnum P.I. Fair enough. Excellent. Doomsday, Luke continues, was killed by the Kryptonians in New Krypton. Told ya. But you did, I think you did mention that. But during the storyline, we saw several instances of Lex Luthor working on his body. And Doomsday has always been able to resurrect himself after death. I did not know that. I did not know that. Luthor experiments in New Krypton are what's led to these clone Doomsdays. That's it. That's it. So that's very helpful, isn't it? It is. Thank you, Luke. He said it was a great episode. Okay. I'm just going to throw that in for a bit of self-aggrandizement. Steve Wright does it on radio too, doesn't he? Does he? He does it all the time. Thank you. Great show, Steve. By the way, Luke says, the Stones and Elvis. What about them? Well, we were saying, who do you prefer, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? All right. Who do you want to be? The Beatles or the Rolling Stones? He prefers the Rolling Stones. I prefer the Beatles. And he prefers Elvis. So what was the other one? The Beatles. Was it? Yes. There's just no accounting for some taste, (laughs) quite frankly. You did say, you did postulate that you preferred McCartney over Lennon. I did, yeah. Luke apparently doesn't have an opinion on that. Because he's okay. not mentioned it. So, if you do have an opinion on McCartney over Lennon, or Lennon over McCartney, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> not that. Oh. <laughs> Wrong. And finally, ends with something addressed at me, so you can shut up. Alright then. Andrew, the folks in Lost were not dead at the beginning of the show. So you were wrong? I was apparently wrong. Yes. So. Everything which happened in the show happened. Later on, years down the road, after everyone died, they got reunited in an afterlife. The parallel universe from the last season. That makes sense. That, that does actually make sense and does clear up an awful lot for me. But I still think Lost was six years wasted. I thought it makes no sense at all. What? Yes. We have another email. Parallel universe. Yeah, they did still parallel high school yeah. reunion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't bother. Okay, then. Go back and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer instead. Yeah, alright. Um, Mike Bailey got back in touch. Mike Bailey does views from the pod- views from the podcast. <laughs> Views from the Longbox, which is an exceptionally good podcast, and I heartily plug it at every available opportunity. Mike finally read Blackest Night 1 to 8, and he dove into our coverage of the series. I'm very happy that he, he did, did he that. Dove in. He dove right in. That sounds good. So he listened to the Action 900 episode before he listened to our Blackest Night episode. So, proving that our podcast is fantastically listener-friendly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to listen to them in any order. You don't to have still to, get full enjoyment. You don't have to th- listen to the previous eight podcasts. No, nope. every odd podcast nope. or another podcast just to nope. know what we're talking about. No, nope. not at all. Just another dig. No, nope. no, nope. we are not DC Comics. No, we are not. And we don't have any gratuitous violence. We used, you used last to, week we had full frontal nudity. We did, yeah. Hmm. And you, you, you did used to cut my arm off and shoot me at every given opportunity. Yeah, that was fun. I miss <laughs> the old days. Back yeah. when we were young and naive. Mm. As opposed to just being naive. We're back to being young and naive. Yes, yeah, so back on to DC. We're back to yeah. being young and naive. How Sounds fantastic good. is that? Anyway, Mike says, yeah. Mike Bailey, not right, you. Yeah. We, we're this, this is going to be yeah. some trouble again yes, now, isn't I it? I think so. Kilowog, because you were asking about Kilowog. Was I? Kilowog, yes, you were. Right. Or was I asking about Kilowog? I think you were asking about Kilowog. I was asking about Kilowog. Yeah. Right. Kilowog was returned to life sometimes in the late 90s an early part of the noughties as part of a story that he read but can't remember. 
That's fantastic. Hmm. I thought I was the one who had memory problems. Well, not everyone has memory problems. Okay. No one can remember that they have memory problems. It's a good point. <laughs> he and the core were back before Hal returned from the dead. Right. Excellent. Now, he goes into some depth here about Kilowog. The character, the, the character fascinates in terms of how fans perceive him. Mike Bailey loves the character, or at least what the character developed into. He's one of the guys that trained Hal and was a Green Lantern before Abin Sir joined the Choir Invisible. Except he wasn't always. Now this bit's quite fascinating. Okay. When Kilowog really came onto the scene after the Crisis on Infinite Earth, he was a complete stranger to seven or eight lanterns that formed the new Green Lantern Corps on Earth after the Guardians went off to have nasty blue skin sex with the hot warrior women Sorry, known as what? the Zamorans. Kilowog showed up because his world was destroyed during the crisis. It was only in the first Emerald Dawn miniseries that Kilowog was retconned as a drill sergeant. It doesn't make him less of a character, but his origins continue to fascinate me, says Michael. Okay. So does that make sense to you? Yeah. In that originally nobody knew who he was, but then it was retconned that he was a drill sergeant and he has been ever since. Yes. Excellent. Good. That makes perfect sense to me as well. Thank you, Michael, for clearing up my Kilowog confusion. In the course of our discussion about DC history from the last 25 to 30 years, it struck me that I have a shocking amount of useless information crammed into my head. <laughs> That's what Michael said. I have a shocking amount of useless information about Marvel comics. I have a shocking amount of information shoved in my head and none of it is going to help me with my exams. That's true. Al Pratt, because I didn't have a clue who Al Pratt was, was the Golden Age Atom. I didn't know that. Did you know? I think so. No, I think I did. Did you know that? I, I did. Okay. Michael, I think you, me. made it seem like he died again during Zero Hour during the battle with Extant, who was actually Hawk from Hawk and Dove. But that was the only time he actually died. All right, so he's only died once, unlike most DC Comics characters. After the Crisis on Infinite Earth, the JSA went into Limbo to do the Limbo Rock. Come and do the Limbo Rock. That's really what Come I'm Come and do the Limbo Rock. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack go under limbo stick. What was that you said about taste? <laughs> I'll have you know, there are people that tune into this podcast just to hear me sing. Really? Yes, me. And that's it. That's it. It's a great list. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Actually, that's not true. Right, okay. They went into limbo to fight a perpetual Ragnarok and save the world. They returned in early 1992 during a series called Armageddon Inferno, and frankly, that was the only good thing to come out of that series. They reformed the JSA in a wonderful 10-issue series with art by the awesome Mike Parogak, and ultimately disbanded again when most of them were killed during his zero hour. I am going to concur that Mike Parobek was awesome. Was it? Yeah, he was brilliant. I've never seen him. Batman Adventures comics. He did the art in them. They were brilliant. Yeah, Lovely, yeah. clean, cartoony style. And he died. He was only about 30 when he died. It's quite a shame, that. Uh, I think he had cancer. I could be wrong on that. Ryan Kendall. <laughs> it sounds awful like Ryan Kendall. <laughs> Michael said that, not me. I'm not taking credit for his joke. But that makes him feel sorry for his naughty parts. Because <laughs> Kendall's, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Genitalia impurred. Right. Yeah. Impurred? Impurred. The black condor was not actually black. He was more Native American. But Native American condo doesn't really work. No. I don't think. Green Lantern 43, Michael continues, mm-hmm. was an engaging read, but is also a great example of how Jeff John's writing can go horribly, horribly wrong. Which one was that? The black hand one. The one that we got by mistake. Oh. 
right. The prelude to Blackest Night. Right, right. Once again, continues Michael, John takes a villain and basically gives him a completely new origin to serve whatever story he wants to tell at the moment. Black Hand was always something of an innocuous villain to me, and used as a punchline during the Giffen de Matthias Justice League. Here, he'd like to have sex with dead women, mm. or at least that's heavily implied, and made his costume out of body bags. It is creepy, cookie, and altogether messed up. Michael used a slightly stronger word, though, mm. but, you know, we try to be family-friendly. We try. We try, yeah. It seemed to be, though, just to shock and disturb the reader, but to what end? He agrees with me. Right. Uh, this is completely unnecessary in a DC mainstream right. superhero comic. Right. I agree. There's, there's not really any need for that, to be honest with you. I have heard that criticism of Jeff John somewhere else, mm. as well, that he just changes characters' origins to suit does, whatever story yeah. he's telling. But since I didn't know Black Hand's origin anyway, it's, it's, all right. it's not really made any difference to me. Oh, this is my favourite bit of the email. Right. Yes, Andrew. Dr. Light was turned into a candle after kidnapping two women, forcing them to dress like I Wonder win. Girl and Starfire, I win. and again forcing one of them to hold the other down while he rapes the other one. I win. That's just appalling. That's in a superhero comic. <sighs> if it makes anything better for you, Dad. It was a final crisis time. This is not directly shown, but was another example of Dr. Light being nothing more than super rapist after Identity Crisis, a story he rather enjoyed despite the rape of Sue Dibney. I didn't mind Identity Crisis. I quite liked it. Greg Rooker wrote the miniseries. Usually, continues Michael, I like his work, but I'm assuming it was a plot point he was told to add by editorial to go along with the all-new, all-different, all-rapey DC comics. (laughs) I can just see that on the cover of the books. All-new, all-different, (laughs) all-rapey. It's a fantastic selling point. He also changed Dick Grayson's origin one point, where he got raped as well. There was apparently a story written by Devin Grayson. Would didn't Dick Grayson get raped in prison? I think. Which I've not read that. I don't know if that's an apocryphal story or not. But if that's true, the editor of that book who allowed that to go through should be flogged. That's just a shocking idea. As a preview, the Blackest Night Free comic book day issue was rather good. It teased the series and set it up nicely, and he liked the conversation between Batman and Green Lantern just like we do. He doesn't say whether he thought our acting, our reenactment of that scene was Oscar-worthy. I think it was. I think it was. I do. What's the radio equivalent of Oscar-worthy? Golden microphone. Could be. I don't know. I'm just, I, I assume so. But the thing with that free comic book day thing... It was much better than the free comic book day for Flashpoint. The first issue of Blackest Night was also rather good, says Michael. As a setup for the series, it did its job and did it well. I like the time Johns took to pay tribute, for lack of a better term, to all the heroes that died. I know that some of them, okay, most of the heroes on that list died for really stupid reasons, but it was a good character moment, even if it was in that door to door vacuum salesman level of character moment. <laughs> oh, dear. Tangent alert. Yes. Michael goes off on a bit of a tangent here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. He too... Or should I say, should I read it as him? I too am a fan of the George Reeves Clark Kent. I can't do his voice. I can't do his voice. He's American and... I don't know if he is Southern. He lives in Georgia. He doesn't seem to have a Southern accent, Michael. If you if you are Southern, Michael, let me know. I do like the Southern accent. Okay. I'm quite fond of the Southern accent. Here down in Tennessee. No, well, I like it on women. Here down in Tennessee. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, do like, I like Dolly Parton's accent. Okay. I quite like that. And Daisy Duke. Ah, Daisy Duke. Anyway, uh, he likes George Reeves' Clark Kent, as did I. I think that's why it was mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way he was handled in Superman 3, Christopher Reeve's performance in Superman 3 being my favourite. I think the Superman 3 Clark in particular, along with how he was handled in the Lester cut of Superman 2, informed my opinion of Clark and set me up for the Burn revamp. One of the reasons I stuck with the Superman titles when I started buying them in 1987 was Clark reminded me of the one I'd seen in the movies. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Given how many times I agree with Andrew when I listen to the show, that's my favourite line in the email. How many times I agree with... I'm going to cut that out, I'm going to blow that up, and I'm going to paste it on the wall in your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's alright. I have to say that one thing we differ... Oh... It just took you're a tangent, just, just went downhill, didn't it? No, shut up. <laughs> on the needing the list to know which order to read the books in. I like that sort of thing, says Michael. While I think it would be lovely if we get a big crossover without the billion crossover books that is simply unlikely to happen under the current regime. Plus, I like lists and reading orders and such in general. It appeals to my anal retentive nature. Mm. Um, I, get, I get his point. I understand that some people like reading orders. Mm. I personally like to be able to pick up a comic and read it and not feel like I have to do homework. Okay. But that's just me. Nobody is incorrect in that particular... Because what do you think? You like them, don't you? I don't mind them. When it's a big, big, big crossover event that's company-wide, I don't mind them, yeah. Right, okay. Having said all that, an omnibus of Blackest Night with the truly essential crossovers would be nice. Mm. You'd have an omnibus, wouldn't you? I would, yeah. Well, do you really need one, though? I mean, according to Ben who emailed us. Oh, he posted on Facebook, didn't he? Mm. The only other ones you really need to read are some of the Green Lantern Corps and the Flash one. But he's still got switching between books. Yeah. Still one big omnibus. So in an omnibus. Nice, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I get your point, though. Yeah, fair enough. Have I mentioned that I love the Divert? Now, I didn't get that at first. I didn't know what he meant. Divert. Yeah, I didn't understand what he meant, though. But he means what I call you a divot. All right. Doesn't he? D-I-V-O-T. Um, <laughs> it's just another word for sod. That's all it is. It's the okay. clump of dirt that is picked up by golfers when they swing at the ball and miss. And that's a divot. That's a divot. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it, it is pretty. Great. I would love if we start um, Americans using yeah. the word divot and numpty. Divot and numpty. I would love the, them to start calling each other a numpty. <laughs> that would be brilliant. Um, this is the type of thing you don't hear on American podcasts. Well, yeah, but I'm, you're going to start saying it now, though. I hope he does. Yeah, I would, that would be so fantastic. Mm. If at work he calls people divot, <laughs> they don't know what he means. You divert. Oh, I hope he doesn't get fired for that. <laughs> they think he's been really insulting, and he isn't. Oh, he thanks us for playing his From Crisis to Crisis trailer. You're very welcome. I'll play anybody's trailer. You send it to me. I'll put I it think in the I show. Uh, it is a bit long. Did we say it was a bit long? I don't know. Did we? I don't know. I don't remember. He's working on an edited version. Right. That's fair enough. Send it to us when you get it. Uh, and I'm look- he's looking forward to our next two parts of his Blackest Night extravaganza because he's not listened to them yet. You guys take... Uh- oh, that's nice. Fair and he'll be giving us a shout-up in Views from the Long Box. Well, you do that, little Mr. Bailey. And I'm just going to mention that Views from the Long Box... For views from the long box. Views from the long box is one of the most. No, views from the long box. Stop it. (laughs) Views from the long box is one of the most random, eclectic, and thus best comic book podcasts out there. In my humble opinion. Define random. How is Um, random? He's almost as random as us. Almost. In that. This week he may decide he wants to talk about Daredevil, and then next week he may decide he's going to talk about Green Lantern, and then the week okay. after that he may talk about Identity Crisis, and then the week after that he may do a Superman show, and then the week after that, and he just does what he wants. Fair enough. Uh, it's his show, he can do whatever the hell he likes. 
And I like that. I like random. And I like, you know what I do like about Views from the Long Box is sometimes he'll do one of them totally off the cuff, stream of consciousness, rambling episodes where he's got a rough idea of what he's talking about, but he's not got a script and he'll just go. Okay. And some of them are some of the best episodes he's done. Fair enough. Um, they're really good. You should seek out some Views from the Long Box. I, I shall. Yes, I think you should. They're very good. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed that feedback. Um, I think we'll put a trailer in here now because I need a break. And we're 20 minutes into the... 28 minutes into the episode. Now, we've not got anything done. Talked about anything. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? 
position. What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. That's me opening up my lar bag with backing board. I have, it has to be said, I have very few comics in a mylar bags and backing boards, don't I? Yeah. I just tend to keep them all in boxes. But my choice today is one of my favourite issues from one of my favourite runs on Batman. They say the golden age of sci-fi is 12. What this means, roughly, is when you look back with the nostalgic glow of, well, nostalgia, the stuff you liked at 12, the things you did, your experience, etc., will never be as good as the memory of that time. And I think you can apply that to pretty much everything. If you like football, it's never going to be as exciting as when you're 12. If you like cars, motor racing is never going to be as good as you are when you were 12. And it's exactly the same with comics. The book that I've picked today is Detective Comics 526, which came out on February 24th, 1983, with a cover date of May 1983. Which means, because I bought this, this very comic, Mm -hmm. off the newsagent stand when it was released, that I will have purchased this in May of 1983. One month shy of my 11th birthday. I'm quite excited by that. So how much is this worth then? I've no idea. This was because back in the day we got our American comics in the month they actually had on the issues due to the three month lag time it took to get over here as ballast on boats. Comics were shipped over as ballast. Really? Yeah. That's why we got them three months late. It's amazing that some of them actually got here in good condition. This is an especially exciting purchase as a kit because we normally didn't get special issues or annuals. I don't know why. I don't why we wouldn't get that. Looking at it now, it doesn't have a UK price on it, implying that it wasn't supposed to get over here. It has a US price of $1.50 and a Canadian price of $2. Why are the Canadians always ripped off? I don't know. There must be a reason for that. Maybe because the Canadians, I don't know, get more money, have more money. We have a few Canadian listeners. Do we? Yes. Really? If, yes, cool. we do. Yes. If the Canadian listeners would like to get in touch with us and tell us why Canada always seems to get ripped off with regards to comic boot prices, I would love to know the reason for so that. So you've got Canadian listeners? Yes. That's me done then. We have, we've had a couple, and a couple in China, so you're happy now, aren't you? We've got Canadian listeners, yeah. yeah. I don't have to do any work now. No. <laughs> um, no UK price. I assume I paid 50p for this. Because weren't comics 25 pence at the time. Um, This is a double issue, so it makes sense that it was 50p. Mm. Uh, Before we get into it, though, here's my favourite Batman theme music from my favourite Batman film, Shirley Walker's main title from Mask of the Phantasm.
ever have. Mask of the Phantasm is fantastic. La 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 la. Better than Batman the movie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That film is amazing. The Adam West one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, alright, the Adam West one's pretty good, but Mask of the Phantasm is better. The shark on his leg. Yeah. And he gets the bat. Shark repellent. Bat bat shark repellent, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this was a great time to be reading the bat books. As I've said before, I was a Marvel kid. Oh, yeah. Yes, but DC books were easy to find over here, presumably because Marvel had Marvel UK, and they wanted us to buy their stuff rather than the US imports. But DC had never had very good newsstand presence here in the UK. I'd buy Batman and Detective Comics regularly using dinner money I didn't spend on dinner. Who needs to eat when there are comics to buy? So you just didn't buy dinner? No, 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 no. I got 60p a day for my dinner, right? right. I bought a 19p sausage roll. 19p? 19p. Not 20? No, I'm old now. Alright. Oh, a 21 pence can of Coke. Not 20. No. I didn't price oh, the things. Ridiculous but the prices. total ended up being 40 pence. Right. So I would pocket my little 20 pence every day. So right. by the end of the week, I had a pound. Okay. And I would amble on down to the Makinson's Arcade where I would pick up some comic books. Okay. There you go. Little insight into my life, though. I liked a little amble, though. Did my little amble. Yeah. Yes. Ambling entertainment. So Spielberg got that from me. Amblin. Yeah. Anyway, this era of Batman was pretty groundbreaking when looked back on nearly 30 years later. Writer Jerry Conway and editor Len Weed were trying something different with the Bat books, largely, I suspect, to get the sales on Detective Comics to match the sales on Batman. God, do you remember when there was only two Batman books? The Batman and Detective Comics. Only two? Not counting Brave and the Bold. Oh, right. Obviously. So that would be three. There was only two? Only two Batman books. Batman and Detective Comics. You didn't have your... Batman or Adventures of Batman nope. or Detective Legends of the Dark Knight nope. or Shadow of nope. the Bat or Cape of the Bat nope. or Mask Dark of the Bat Knight or Incorporated nope. or Batman and nope. Robin or Robin and Batman nope. or Nightwing and Batman nope. Batman and Lacey Starsky and Batman <laughs> Batman P.I. No, none of these ever happened There was only two Bat books Shocking I think you better not have just destroyed my inks, you damn cat. Tech had only just recently escaped cancellation, and to try and build up readership, Ween and Conway had the idea of turning the back books into bi-weekly titles. What's tech? Detective Comics. Tech. Tech. T-E-C. Tech. That's what they used to call it in the letters pages. Okay. Tech. Fair enough. I thought that was quite clever at the time. Um, by having one writer write both books, stories could start in one book and carry over into the other, thereby essentially forcing readers into buying both. This was a groundbreaking idea at the time. There were characters with multiple titles, Spider-Man over at Marvel, Superman at DC, but they handled this completely differently. Superman, by and large, ignored that Action Comics existed, apart from special occasions like Action Comics 544, and the amazing Spider-Man paid lip service to what was going on in... Oh, that was plaintive from the cat, wasn't it? Mm. What was I saying? Oh, Amazing Spider-Man paid lip service to what was going on in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, but that was as far as it went. This tight continuity between the two books, although not popular at the time, changed the industry forever. For good or ill. Well, I'll let you decide that. I don't mind it. Well, yeah, because you've grown up with it. Yeah. 
As a reader, though, this was great stuff. Conway was setting up tons of subplots from the arrival of Killer Croc to Gotham City to the introduction of a character who would still be around today, albeit after having taken a detour into Morpheus' realm, Jason Todd. Detective Comics was drawn by the legendary Gene Cola, and Batman was drawn by the magnificent and severely underrated Don Newton and Alfredo Alcala. Newton and Alcala's moody artwork set in my mind what Batman should be like to this day. I quite like this. They are, it was brilliant. Jerry Conway said in an interview that I was listening to not long ago that he's made more money off Killer Croc than any other subsidiary character that he created, including, it has to be remembered, he created the Punisher. Okay. Um, He didn't get a dime from Marvel for the Punisher movies, but whenever Killer Croc is used in other media, he gets a nice big fat check. Fair enough. So he appeared in Batman the Animated Series for which he received money Arkham Asylum Arkham Asylum made shed loads of cash Jerry Conway got a nice big check for that so I'm quite pleased with that quite pleased that DC take care of the people the story is called All My Enemies Against Me it's a square bound 64 page book with a whopping 56 pages of story It is, as already mentioned, written by Jerry Conway with pencils and inks by Don Newton and Alfredo Alcala. It's lettered by Ben Oda, coloured by Adrienne Roy and edited by Len Wein. If you grew up in the 80s, Mm -hmm. Ben Oda and Adrienne Roy lettered and coloured pretty much every DC book. They must have been getting some good money. I hope. Well, Adrienne Roy died last year and it was reckoned that she had her name on more Batman books than anyone said Bob Kane. The cover is superficially similar to Amazing Spider-Man 100. Batman, Robin and Batgirl! Yay! Surrounded by a metallic gold circle aborted by negative floaty heads of, from left to right, Catman, the Spook, Clayface 2, the Cavalier, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the Gentleman Ghost, the Mad Hatter, Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, the Signalman, Commissioner Gordon, the Joker, the Scarecrow, the Penguin, Talia al Ghul, Stingaree, the Getaway Genius, Two-Face, the Black Spider, the Riddler, the Catwoman, and Alfred Pennyworth. Whew. Do you know... I only had to look two of them up. Did you? Yes. Stingaree. Yeah, I didn't know who he was. And the Getaway Genius. I didn't know who the Cavalier was either. Did you not? See, I knew the Cavalier from the uh, Legends of the Dark Knight story. Okay. But much later than this, but at least I did know who he was. I quite like Signal Man. Would you really think the Signal Man would strike terror into anybody's heart? Ah, Batman, my laser pen. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go that way, I'm going to change the train tracks. to be proud or sad about that that I didn't have to look any of them up be proud you're right. be proud fly that geek flag <laughs> proudly I do uh, it has anniversary emblazoned across the top in gold and black letters informing us that this is the 500th appearance of Batman in Detective Comics I think it's a very striking cover that leapt off the stands back in 1983. It's still pretty striking today, especially if you catch it in the right light so the gold shines. You've got to bear into mind, contextual boy, yes. that at the time we didn't have foil covers or laminate covers or 3D covers or holograph covers. That was as good as it got. It did. Yeah. And if you imagine that you're 11, as I was in 1983, and you see that on the stands, mm. you're like... It will be mine. So just because oh, yes. gold circle well, on it, no. it's good. Well, no. That because it was a big fat detective anniversary issue, well, which yeah. traditionally didn't get published over here. And also because I was reading Batman and Detective and I was just very excited about it. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. That's my opinion. What do you think of it? Well, I don't think it's all that good, to be honest. Uh, it's of course you don't. a bunch of dudes running at the reader with some heads surrounded them, and they're in a gold circle. Yes, but it's an anniversary issue. So, uh, what makes it an anniversary cover, though? The gold. The gold caught your eye. You, that's, you didn't have holographic 3D foil covers. This is the point I've just made. Yeah, I know, but still, it's a gold circle. You could have done an anniversary cover without the gold. Spider-Man managed that it. That would have crap. Superman managed it. Superman Action Comics 544 had a penciled cover. Did it? Yes. Sounds good. The Lex Luthor and Brainiac were inked, but Superman in the middle was just the pencils. Who did it? Gil Kane, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe Kurt Swan. Maybe Ed Hannigan, now I come to think about it. Okay. Anyway. I'll that up. So the story begins. In Crime Alley, the place where Bruce Wayne's parents were killed, fact finds, the Penguin approaches a small, run-down theatre. There he is greeted by numerous members of the Batman's rogues gallery, none of whom have called this meeting. They have t-shirts. What <laughs> same weird parts of Batman's rogues <laughs> gallery ask me how? <laughs> I always thought it was the Flash's rogues gallery. The Flash is the thingy rogues, isn't it? Yeah, well, isn't that the same thing? Or is it not? Okay, fair enough. Turns out the Joker arranged it, informing the miscreants that Killer Croc is trying to steal their thunder by killing the Batman. Catwoman does not take kindly to this, given that she is in love with the Dark Knight, and leaves secretly to inform the Batman of this clandestine meeting. Talia Al Ghul, Rash's little girl, also has the hots for the caped crusader, and also takes her leave. Because she's not as sneaky as Catwoman, however, Mr. Freeze tries to stop her, and Talia deftly avoids his clumsy attack by chucking Stingaree in the way of his freeze gun. Who the hell is Stingaree? I don't know. He's got a crap name. Stingery. Aha! Stingery. Yeah. She escapes, thanks to Two-Face's silver dollar coming non-scarred side up, but the Joker convinces the rest to move ahead with his plan. In the Batcave, the Batman is training an exercise routine that the narrator informs us might kill any other man. Talia and Catwoman arrive simultaneously and bitch fight with each other before they can tell Batman what's going on. In the time known as Meanwhile, Dick Grayson a.k.a. Robin, the teen wonder, is pursuing two good friends, Joseph and Trina Todd, who were tailing a car that he and Batman believe may lead them to kill a croc. In turn, he is pursued by Waldo the Clown and Jason Todd. Who's Waldo the Clown? Waldo the Clown is the clown that worked at the circus where Dick Grayson worked before his parents were killed. Okay. If you remember, Dick Grayson was a circus performer. Yeah, so he's not been getting any work for like seven years. Yeah, he works in the same circus. Haley Circus, I think it was called. There you go. Did you know Deadman? I don't know if Deadman ever worked for Haley's Circus. He possibly did. Maybe Dick Grayson does know Deadman. Deadman and the Graysons work together now, apparently. Did they? Connor's a Flashpoint. Is that a retcon? Flashpoint. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Is Deadman dead again, given that he was left alive at the end of Blackest Night? Or is he now just mad? Yeah. Grayson takes them to Wayne Manor. Whilst at the theatre, Commissioner Gordon and his daughter Barbara, a.k.a. Batgirl, attend a crime scene that has seen an old Batman villain frozen to death. The aforementioned Stingaree, by the way. Barbara steals evidence from the crime scene, which I'm sure must be against the law, and takes off to Wayne Manor. She arrives just as Grayson does, and, resplendent in their crime-fighting togs, they head out. The evidence Batgirl stole was a cigarette holder, and from that she deduces that there was a gathering of Batman's enemies. Clever, that. Clever. Robin is sure it's linked to Killer Croc, and he tries to contact the Batman. The Batman, however, has silenced his phone as he, Catwoman and Talia, take the fight to the rogues. 
they have tracked down the Riddler, the Scarecrow, the Cavalier and the Mad Hatter and take them out in pretty short order and dump them on the steps of City Hall. At Wayne Manor, Jason Todd is a nosy old soul and he finds his way down to the Batcave. On the streets, Batman follows a crossed-out bat signal to the Signal Man. Uh, I wonder why the Signal Man never became an A-list villain. Calculated it. The Calculator is not an A-list villain. B-list Neither is Calendar Man. Calendar Man is awesome. <laughs> if you say so. I will defeat you with this bank holiday. <laughs> Ah, not the bank holiday Monday! No! Ah, I will make you sit in traffic! <laughs> <laughs> that's his power! That's his power! <laughs> Brilliant! Oh, dear. Although he could make everyday Christmas day. Could he? That'd be cool. That'd be good for the companies. Yes, it'd be brilliant. It would be awesome. Would anyway! Have one present a day in that case, though. No, you just wouldn't get many presents. Anyway, all the time that he's driving the Batmobile, Talia drapes herself all over him. Uh, Doesn't he know that's dangerous? Anyway, he takes out the signal <laughs> man. Well, well, yeah. I'm Batman. Goddamn Batman. <laughs> the goddamn Batman. He takes out the signal man whilst Catwoman takes down Mr. Freeze and Talia gets the drop on the spook. The black spider also tries to take down Catwoman, obviously in a world that cats eat spiders. In the signal man's pocket they find a map, but it possesses no street names or numbers. Not a signal. I think you'll find that he's just pleased to see them. They head back to the cave to decipher the map. Robin and Batgirl, however, have found their way to Gotham Zoo's reptile house thanks to a message from Commissioner Gordon, where they find the dead bodies of Trina and Joseph Tom. Apparently, Killer Croc fed them to the crocodiles and the police can't get to the bodies. Robin takes a sharpshooter's rifle and pistol whips the animals into submission, retrieving Trina's dead body. The RSPCA would have, have him up for that nowadays. <laughs> Um, and where is the notorious Killer Croc? Why, he's taking a steam bath in the abandoned Gotham City men's club. A lot of abandoned bitlins in Gotham City. Isn't it is it? just like an abandoned city. Yes. It's got these people that's, going around. That's why ba- all these criminals and Batman yeah. and that's everyone else has left. They're going around Battle Royale and Everyone's other. gone. Let's move to Coast City. We'll be safe there. <laughs> the Joker shows up and tells him about the rogues' meetings and that he can offer a deal. At the Batcave, Jason Todd makes himself a costume that is similar to Robin's, but not similar enough to be a cause for copyright infringement. Actually, actually no, Karen. Okay. It's a point on me later. Okay. At that moment, the Batmobile arrives and Batman, Catwoman and Talia lay the map they found over a computer simulation of Gotham and find where they want to go. Jason steals into the boot or trunk of the Batmobile and neither the world's greatest detective, the best cat burglar in the world, nor the daughter of the demon spot him. Batman points out that this was way too easy, and it's almost certainly a trap. The threesome smile, and taking a leaf from Obi-Wan Kenobi's book, decide to spring the trap. The threesome. The threesome? Mm. What do you want me to call them? The trio? (laughs) Well, it's two guys and a dude. It's two girls and a dude. Two girls and a dude. I'm sure, you know. Yeah. Robin and Batgirl <laughs> have found their way to the, deba- the, to the tobacconist. And I mean, I'm sure club. he's done both of them at one point. Well, we definitely, well, we know he's done Talia. Yeah, I'm sure he's cat with another thing going. Yeah, probably. I could make an obvious joke, though, what? about Catwoman. What? Being a nice pussy, but I'm not <laughs> going to. Robin and Batgirl have That's found their bad. way to the, oh, the tobacconist's <laughs> club where the shadow rulers of Gotham's underworld are waiting for a word from Croc that he has taken out the Batman and took control of the underworld crime scene. 
Robin is not in the best of moods following the death of his friends and beats the crap out of them. He gets one of them to talk by dangling him over a ledge and they head to the same address the Batman got from the computer, the old Adams Brewery on Clark and Main. Batman and company arrive first and realise that something is amiss straight away. They then stumble on the half-beaten bodies of a couple of D-list rogues before being attacked by a water valve pumping gallons of hot water at them. I'm a bit confused by that bit in the comic. Batman and co. arrive and realise that something's amiss, but they know it's a trap. And they get caught in the trap. And they get caught anyway. Mm. So how is that them springing the trap? That's them getting caught. Well, what did Obi-Wan say? Well, I'm here to rescue you. Good job. Good job. Which is the best line in Attack of the Clones. Hugh <laughs> and McGregor's delivery is much funnier than mine. Jason Todd, meanwhile, has found his way out of the Batmobile's boot and follows some A-list rogues and Killer Moth. So these are A-list? These are A-list. Right, okay. Ex- to- except for Killer Moth. I've got to have to look this up. No, no, I, I've decided. Oh, right. I have decided that they're A-list. How is Killer Moth not an A-list? Killer Moth is not an A-list Killer bad Moth guy. great. <laughs> What ways kill him off? Great. You will see in a couple of weeks. Though. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, that was a hint at what we're going to do next. Yeah. Okay. Clayface moulds himself into a lookalike of Tony Falco, a two-bit crime boss that Croc killed a few issues ago. And Jason Todd overhears their plan to kill Batman and Double Cross Killer Croc, and heads into the building to warn them. Batman is tied up at the moment. Quite literally. Instead of killing the caped crusader, the Joker has tied him, Catwoman Italia, to a brewing vat filled with hops for making beer. The vat will explode in five minutes, melting Batman and Co. Killer Croc, however, has no imagination and orders Batman cut down. He doesn't care about the women, but he wants Batman dead at his own hands. After Two-Face, Killer Moth, Gentleman Ghost and Clayface take out Croc's guards, they head to kill Croc as per the Joker's plan. Jason Todd follows. Batman is fighting Croc as Todd arrives, beating the rogues into the building. Some stray gunfire breaks a steam pipe above Talia and Catwoman's heads, spraying them with hot steam. Jason leverages the main pipe's valve, stopping the steam whilst the Joker makes a fast fade. He wanders straight into the unconscious bodies of his partners. Robin and Batgirl are just finishing them off, and he turns back around to run, realising that his double cross hasn't worked. Clumsily, he runs right in between the battle between Croc and Batman, and Croc punches him for his trouble, knocking him out cold. Batman is distracted by Robin and Batgirl and Croc boasts about killing Jason Todd's parents as he moves in for the kill. Jason overhears the boast and leaps down, distracting Croc from braining Batman with a pipe and Batman lays a haymaker, taking Croc down. Jason kicks the crap out of Croc. That's a brilliant use of alliteration once again. Who's down and has to be restrained by Robin and Batgirl. In the epilogue... Talia and Catwoman drive off together after telling Batman to call them. What we don't see is round the corner, Catwoman scratches up Talia's throat. Bruce talks to Dick, who wants to adopt Jason, but Bruce says that what happened is his fault, and the issue ends with the shadow of the Bat falling over a new ward for Bruce Wayne and a new partner against crime for the Batman. Uh, Do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, all right. Ah, what did you think of that issue, lovely Michael? Right. The thing with the title? Yes. Is it All My Enemies Against Me? All My Enemies Against Me. That's not all his enemies. Uh, I don't... Who who do you think's missing there? Bear in mind, the Joker is there. The Catwoman is there. Who's missing there? I mean, obviously Bane isn't there, but Bane didn't exist yet. Yeah, the Riddler's there. Maxi Zeus. 
Maxi Zeus. I I think Maxi Zeus was around at this point, but he's not there. All his main enemies are there. And Signal Man. Yeah, and Uh, Signal Man. And Stingery. And Stingery. And the other dude. And Kill Em Off. (laughs) Kill Em Off is awesome, dude. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, Off the top of my head. Go on. What's he called with it? He, like, scratches himself after he kills a dude. He doesn't exist yet. Does he not? No. The Tally Man. No, not Tally Man. No. Tally Man's cool. Uh, I know what you mean, yeah. Every time he kills somebody, he's... Yeah. Cornelius Stoke. Is that not his name? No, I don't think so. Well, oh, it'll come back to us when we're not thinking about it. But he didn't exist at this point. He hadn't been created. Oh, okay. So, there you go. I do like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> They're funny. Keep going. I also like the art in this. The art's fantastic. But, to be honest, I wasn't really fond of comic artwork at this time. Because it looked like it was all the same style as though it was just one dude doing every book. Don Newton and Alfredo Alcala didn't look like anybody else, dude. Well, no, but most of the comics at the time it had the same style of art. See, I don't agree with that. George Perez doesn't look like John Byrne. George Perez looks like Phil Jimenez. Yeah, but that's because Phil Jimenez studied at the feet of George Perez. And you're, you're, you're not comparing like for like, though. Phil Jimenez wasn't drawing books in the 1980s. Gene Colon didn't look anything like Jack Kirby. Jim Lee looks like Adam Kiebert. Again, not drawing comics in the 80s, which is what you're complaining about. <laughs> I know, yeah. You're not complaining about now. Um, finger. Steve Ditko and Jack... No. Didn't look anything like each other. Kirby. Gil Kane didn't look anything like Kurt Swan. Kirby and Ditko had some resemblances. You think? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't agree with that at all. Anyway. Um, I liked how in page 11... Where Vicky just punches that dude out. Oh, yeah, the guy who's sexually harassing her yeah. on page 11. Was Vicky that... Vale. It was actually nice to see Vicky Vale again. Uh, I don't know what's happened. Has Vicky Vale just disappeared since the Batman movie? Is she not dead? Oh, I don't know anymore. I swear she's dead. Is she? Have they killed her off? Okay, fair enough. Um, the Mad Hatter strikes me as just a whiny girl. On page but... 15? Yeah. Yeah, well, he probably is. And uh, since when has Batman joked? And since when has he been the type of the person to repeat the punchline followed by, get it? Get it? Well, see, he wasn't the completely grim, humourless psychopath that he is now. He actually smiles in this book. Hmm. I mean, albeit off panel, but he does smile. And um, in Superman Batman, the best line in Superman Batman, he, Batman says to Superman, lose the sense of humour. And Superman says, get one. Yeah. Which, and that sums up him. Now, back then, back in the 80s, Batman had a sense of humour. Let's face it, he dresses up as a bat. He's got to have some sense of humour. You just go around like, get it, get it. Yeah, I don't think he does that sometimes. Who are half of these villains? I mean, what are their origins? Like, the Stingery. I have no idea who Stingery is. I'll be honest with you. Um, I knew most of these. I am the Stingery. You killed my father. Prepare to die. die. (laughs) That would be more cavalier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, see, a lot of these have fallen out of favour of being silly. In our postmodern, everything has to be realistic. Two thousand twenty-first century. Shoot the brains out of people. And yeah, beat them up it's and just cack. But yeah. you know, I'm sure there's a good stingery story to be told by Jeff Johns, in which he completely rewrites his origin and turns him into a mad psychopath that screws chickens, and then t- <laughs> and then turns him into a big company-wide uh, yeah. crossover, and then reboots the entire. Uh, and in off days, he guts schoolgirls. <laughs> Because I'm sure that's what Stingery was all about. That sounds like a Garth Ennis comic. Yeah, actually. more than likely. Um, also, when uh, Catwoman says that cats never lose their footing, actually they can do. We'll Our cats do. Also, how can Jason's parents be dead in this? 
Isn't his mum in the Death and the Family? Post-crisis and pre-crisis, dude! Oh, right, sorry. Don't get your continuities mixed up. Oh, sorry for getting my continuities mixed up, having them been changed five times. Yeah, it's shocking, that, isn't it? You know, three times in the last ten years, wasn't mm, it? Something like that. Um, on page 29, panel 7, when uh, Robin goes, Does this look terrific? He's not Robin! Does it look terrific? It's like, no, it, it looks rather gay. Oh, I see, I don't buy that. I think it looks, that tightly it looks like a circus performer's outfit. It also brings me to the point where, um, you know in Rough Justice by Alex Ross? Yes. There's a part in it where he does redesigns for characters. Yes. And that is the redesign for Robin. Well, he rips it off here. I'll show you if you want. I believe you, but okay. he ripped... He, Alex Ross wasn't working in comics in 1983. No, no. Okay. Uh... Also, you brought this up before about how could Batman walk into a trap? No, yeah, that, was, that a was a bit silly, that. It's like he knew there was a trap there. They went in going, well, let's spring the trap. And he got caught in it anyway. That does that's, that's, that's vaguely out of West. a very good trap. It, yeah. um, also, I do quite like Killamoth. I don't care whether you don't or not, but mm-hmm. it's Killamoth. I don't dislike Killamoth. We have a mutual interest, me and Killamoth. Do you? Hey, look, it's wood. Let's burn it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I also quite like the gentleman ghost. I like the gentleman ghost. Mm. I quite, I'm quite fond of the gentleman ghost. It has to be said. Anything else? No, I think I have a question, but I think you've got that in your notes where you answer it. Dokey. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being the culmination of a number of issues worth of plot lines, Jerry Conway makes this issue perfectly readable to newbies and readers who may have just picked this up because it's an anniversary. At no point is the reader confused by what's going on. I wasn't. And you've not read the lead up to this? No. The only thing you were confused about was this Jason Todd's origin, weren't you? Yeah. Because you've only ever read post-crisis Jason Todd. Yeah. So you didn't even, you weren't even aware of this? post and post post crisis, crisis post in, uh, post crisis on infinite earth pre infinite crisis and post infinite and yeah. then post infinite oh it's all just too confusing for me oh by gad for the arts fantastic I do like it the yeah. opening page is moody and layered with shadows page 9 where Dick Grayson's on his bike you can almost feel the oh, rain and the page, cold yeah. Newton's Batman isn't an over muscled bodybuilder nor a lean athlete but rather a perfect amalgam of both even Robin looks good and only two artists have ever made Robin's costume look both practical and convincing. Who? George Perez and John Byrne. But Don Newton comes pretty damn close. If he can make that costume look good, he's a bloody good artist. Mm. Catwoman, Selina Kyle, and Batman, Bruce Wayne, were dating at some point as Catwoman had forsaken her criminal ways. In fact, both Catwoman and Talia want to slide down the bat pole in this issue, with do. both fighting for Batman's affections. He would go on to father a child with Talia in the 80s graphic novel Son of a Demon but um, because he never kisses and tells we, we just must leave it to our imagination if he ever experienced Catwoman I reckon he did you reckon mm. he was a bit of a, a, a ladies man in these issues was Bruce he was not the anti ladies ladies no need to fight over me there's plenty, plenty of me to go around on page five, Talia asks the Joker if this many against one is his idea of fur play. The Joker's reply, fur play? Talia, my sweet, whatever are you babbling about is brilliant. <laughs> fur play, he's the came, Joker. I just came with a very bad joke for that previous one. Go on. 
when you're on about um, with Catwoman mm-hmm. and uh, this is going to be a part Talia Al Ghul it's like Batman she said ladies ladies please I'm a Dr. Light <laughs> he's lying to Two-Face on page 6 are you crazy he says that to, to the Joker says that to Two-Face <laughs> the irony um, did you not think it's strange that all of Batman's female adversaries seem to know where the Batcave was did you not did you not think where, how do they know where the Batcave is ladies man it's no secret people just blunder their way into Listen, the Batcave just, just stop doing crime for one night and I'll show you the Batcave I'll show you my Batcave it's <laughs> a car right chicks get the car I'll show you all my back gadgets. I'll show you. I'll show you the stirrings in my utility belt. Before this issue, Batman and Robin didn't know that Batgirl knew who they were. Okay. I know that's quite clever. Though. Page sixteen, panel one is a fantastic shot of Batman cloaked in shadow, the cape billowing behind him, the Riddler's going down. Page seventeen is a perfect way to kill off a villain. The Mad Hatter disappears under a train, but nobody is ever found. Ooh. He'll be back. See, this is where realism in superhero comics suck. Batman dumps Riddler, Cavalier and Scarecrow on the steps of City Hall. In real life, a lawyer would have them back out on the street within an hour. Well, there's no due process. He didn't read the Miranda rights. There's no evidence they were actually up to anything other than wearing bad costumes. Yeah. And let's face it, it's not a crime to wear a costume. Maybe Batman works for the fashion police. Maybe. <laughs> he works for Got One. <laughs> this is my toughest challenge yet. <laughs> Batman will forgive you for your costume, just go round up Catman. Well, Batman's costume is pretty cool. Page 18, when Jason finds his way into the Batcave, it's because someone has left the clock door open. Oh. That's very clumsy of Alfred, wasn't it? Especially when there's visitors in Wayne Manor. Where is Alfred? making a cup of tea. Where are the alarms? Where's the intruder alerts? Batman's already let Catwoman and Talia just wander in. Maybe it was all part of a big scheme of things where Batman wanted Jason Todd to find it. It's highly unlikely given that Batman doesn't even know who Jason Todd is till the end of this issue. Does he not? Which, no. Why, okay. why would Batman know who Jason Todd is? He doesn't even know he's there. I don't remember if he knows Jason from previous issues, but yeah. in the context of this one single issue, he doesn't know Jason's there. Because oh, okay. he doesn't even know Robin and Batgirl are working on the same case as him until the end. They don't meet till the end. Fair enough. It's all separate. I think he's just making a tourist attraction at this point, to be honest with you. Uh, page 25, Gordon really gives Robin the guilt trip. Blaming him for the death of the Todds, doesn't he? This is on your head, boy. <laughs> Cheers, thanks, Kamish. God. Page 30, Batman doesn't notice the Batcave has been breached, nor does he notice Jason nip into the boot of the Batmobile. But they're not making noise. It will, some kind of... I don't know. I mean, compare this fallible Batman to the almost godlike supernatural creature of the night Batman on recent years. Page 31, he smiles. Did it? Yeah. Wow. I always imagine when Batman smiles, it's pretty damn creepy. Yes, just, <laughs> just like that, yeah. The old Adams Brewery is presumably a tip of the hat to Neil Adams, classic Batman artist. The scene on page 38, where Batman finds the beaten bodies of the getaway genius... I don't know who he is. A getaway genius. Obviously not. <laughs> if ever there was a character who was so ironically named, um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Catwoman would have been far more... Gra- In fact, this boot would have been far more graphic today, wouldn't it? Yeah. We would have seen Jason Todd's parents being ripped apart by oh, crocodiles. Shot yeah, of their arms being ripped off yeah. and their heads disappearing over the sides. It's just... Shocking. Page 43. Love that the Joker puts the Batman in an elaborate death trap instead of just killing him. 
What's the fun in just killing him? The sport. Mm. Also, Joker doesn't want Batman dead. What would he do then? He'd have nothing to do. He'd have to move to Metropolis. Yeah. Try and bug Superman. Page 47, after Two-Face kill him off, gentleman ghost and Clayface take out Croc's guards, Two-Face remarks, the calibre of the hired help these days is truly pathetic, which I think was a great line. What happened to the penguin? Isn't he dead now? No, what, what happened to the penguin in this story? I thought he died. How did he die? You said he jumps under a train track. That was the Mad Atta doofus. Oh, right. Where's the penguin go? I don't know. He's in the first three pages, and then he just disappears. Maybe he has some problems at his club. (laughs) Maybe he had some problems at home. I I can't come out and kill Batman with you today, boys. You know, I've just got to go home. The wife's sulking at me. The baby's staying up all night. I I can't. I really do want to kill him, but, you know, what can you do? Got to give time to the missus. Batman's distracted a little too easily on page 51 but it gives Jason a chance to kick the crap out of Killer Croc. And epilogue is spelt correctly this week. Is it? Yes. Okay. Did you not notice that? I did, yes. Excellent. Page 55. How oh, is any of this Bruce Wayne's fault? I don't know who says Bruce Wayne's fault. At the end, Dick Grayson says he wants to adopt Jason Todd because he's now old enough. Yeah. And Bruce says, no, this is my fault. I'll take care of it. How oh, is his fault? I don't recall... I mean, obviously, we haven't read the issues before that, or I haven't for 20-odd years, but I don't think Batman would have sent two civilians to tail Killer Croc. No. Especially seeing as they make a big point of Commissioner Gordon blaming Robin for it. So, it doesn't seem likely that Batman had anything to do with it. So, it just struck me as a bit silly. On the whole, this is a fantastic issue. It's the end of a multi-part arc, but stands alone, as an anniversary issue should. It's not to be continued in another book... Action 900, and it doesn't start with a cliffhanger. It's perfectly paced, never drags, and across 56 pages, I was interested, engaged, and never bored. Just a fantastic issue. What did you think? I, I did quite like it. I was jolly, jolly thinking good. much of it, but I read the most of it on the toilet and it kept me going. Fantastic. Uh, there are some loose ends, like what did happen to the penguin, and some of the bad guys are taken out a little too easily. Robin and Batgirl take both Clayface and Two-Face out off-panel. I like to think Two-Face and Clayface would have given them a bit more of a fight than that. Maybe Clayface wasn't Clayface, but a Clayface pretending to be Clayface. He was Clayface too. Because Clayface one's already dead at this point. Which one was Clayface You need one? to read the mud pack. I've seen that. It's the one with the axer and the one in the... The glass No, no, the comic book series, The Mud Pack. Yeah, I've seen it. There's four Clayfaces. Have you? I've read it. Because I don't know why there were four Clayfaces. I'm sure one of them was an actor. Yes, one of them was an actor. And one of them was held together in a glass tank because he was falling apart. Yeah, because the the animated series uses the one that's an actor, don't they? Yeah. Gagan, Matt Gagan? No, Matt Gagan's the scorpion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oops, mixing up my bad guys there. Oh, dear me. Um... There's a poster by Batman creator, and I use the word creator in inverted commas, Bob Kane, that's probably traced off someone else's work, knowing Bob Kane. Was that done for this issue? I don't... Well, it does say at the top, though, so uh, it looks traced. It also looks It looks very familiar. The same Bob Bob Kane Batman picture done for every other story Bob Kane's done. Oh, don't get us started on Bob Kane again. You know, we'd do an entire rant it's about Bob Kane. It's a castle on a hill with Batman, with Batman in the background. Yeah. yeah, he's probably ripped it off somebody else, allegedly, uh, just in case somebody sues us. Yeah. Jason Todd has a long and storied history. According to Wikipedia, get this, people, okay. he made his debut in Detective Comics 524 
and he also made his first appearance in Batman 357, and he first appeared as Robin in Detective 526. How can he make his first appearance in two separate issues? I know, I know I, this has oh. happened to a number of people. Sometimes they'll be um, hinted at, you'll see them in a shadow, or you'll just hear the name or anything, and then you'll see them. Like, the Monitor in Christ on Infinite Earths, his first appearance was in Christ on Infinite Earths 1. Mm-hmm. Superman states that he's heard rumours about him before and seen images of him. Yeah, because he was seen in issues of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, right. across the universe as just a shadow. So it's possible that that's not a mistake. Yeah. Alright. This next bit, though, is... He doesn't make his debut as Robin in Detective 526. We've just read Detective Comics 526. Yeah. At what point in that issue does Jason Todd become Robin? He becomes a Robin wannabe. Yes, but he's not Robin, is he? No. So Robin a be. Here's a top tip for all you kids out there, if there are any listening, who want to steal the homework from Wikipedia. Don't. Yeah, I still do. Yeah. The Batman 357 apparently is the correct one, but originally he was named Ishmael, not Robin, if memory serves. Why Ishmael? Because <clears throat> he didn't want to be Batman and Robin. He wanted to be Batman and Ishmael. Why Ishmael? Call me Ishmael from Moby Dick. Okay. Crack a book, dude. Uh, I just did to do this podcast. That's true, but that's a comic book, not a book. It's still a book. It is. It has words in. Yes. When Dick Grayson gave up being Robin in Teen Titans 39, Todd took over being Robin. However, all of that was rendered null and void after the Crisis on Infinite Earth rewrote DC history. The origin of Jason Todd was usurped for being too similar to Dick Grayson's and replaced by one where Todd was a teenage delinquent saved off the streets by Batman after trying to jack the Batmobile's wheels. This Jason was angry and embittered and was not popular with readers and was killed off due to a reader's phone vote mm, yeah, by the Joker in the story Death in the Family. It's a bit cruel, that, but I prefer that Jason Todd to this Did one. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, that Jason Todd was irritating. He was resurrected because, you know, comic book bad guys don't stay dead, do they? After Infinite Crisis and is now the bad guy, the Red Hood. Is that still right? Yes. Okay. Um, I've no idea. Uh, no idea. I've no idea how much this issue goes for on the back issue market, um, but the story is reprinted in the greatest Batman stories ever told, Volume Two. Jason's death, post-crisis Jason, is printed in the Death in the Family collection, and the Red Hood stuff is available in a new trade paperback. Which Red Hood stuff? He's been in multiple. Uh, I don't know. I think the original storyline under the Red Hood is that the Judd winning one. Is currently being published in one paperback and I'm tempted to read it because okay. I've never read it but it's Judd Winnick I know but can you read a Judd Winnick could comic? I read a Judd Winnick I don't know I'd have to see mm. see if I can get past my loathing of the man's work why do you loathe Judd Winnick I just don't like his stuff ok I can't quite pinpoint what it is I just don't it's a good enough reason yeah okay. uh, we are now going to play the theme from Justice League and we'll be right back
what's your choice this week, you're Michael? My choice. Is How appropriate, given the music we just played. Indeed. Some people would think we, we actually planned, planned this, wouldn't they? Which It'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> My choice for the week is Justice League of America 11 Ooh. Walls by Brad Meltzer and Gene Howe. <laughs> is that his name? Doesn't he have a, a thingy at the end of his um, name? An exclamation yeah, mark. Yeah, an exclamation mark. Ha! Or is that Adam Hughes? Meltzer changed how the heroes of the DC Universe thought and acted, not only when fighting villains, but also when attacking family life by massive changes to the DC Universe using heavy amounts of continuity with the groundbreaking, much-loved and much-hated identity crisis. Yes, loathed and loved in equal measure. After this, he then went on to write Justice League of America, starting with issue zero, with help from penciler Ed Beans where Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman selected superheroes to be part of the new JLA after a battle with Amazon. Right. Stop you there. Do you think Ed Beans or Ed Benes is cheesecake? What? The artwork. Do you think it's cheesecake? Why cheesecake? Uh, do you know that? Cheesecake oh. refers to the artist's gratuitous TNA. TNA? Tits and ass. All right. Do you think he is? Honestly. Uh, I think he draws nice women. Yeah. I don't think... Have you seen his website? I've not, no. Check out his website. So his website's Cheesecake. I'm just yeah. talking about his comics, right? Right. He doesn't draw Michael Turner skanky-type no. supergirls. He draws full-figured women. Yeah. And they're always dressed. So I, 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 I read someone on a message board either yesterday or today. No, it must have been a couple of days ago, actually, because I've not been on the internet much this past week, that somebody was complaining about cheesecake art in comics, and that's why women don't read them, because Wonder Woman's always got her boobs hanging out and all that stuff. And somebody mentioned Ed Benes. Yeah. And I thought, of the people that they could have picked, he's the least, the one I would least have named as cheesecake. Well, it can be sometimes. You think? Yeah. See, and it, I've only I've recently read his Justice League. I've just read the first 19 issues of Justice League of America because right. I got them in the pound bins. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, pet peeve. Mm. Two of those stories carried on into a different book. Which ones? Justice Society, oh, Lightning well, we Saga. We have them anyway. Uh, we have them anyway. And one of them, the Injustice League storyline, started in another book. Right. And nowhere in the Justice League book does it tell you where it started. That's shocking, that. Editorial asleep at the wheel again. Okay. But anyway... I wouldn't. I don't. Well, I just want to know what you thought of that. Uh, he can be sometimes. Yeah, he? Mm. But he's a good of an artist that it's. He isn't. Like, he is a very good artist. Yeah. And he does draw nice bottoms. So maybe yeah. that's just me. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. The first arc centered around the Red Tornado becoming human and the reformation of the Justice League. The second arc was a crossover between the JLA and the JSA. Focused on the Legion of Superheroes. See, we just mentioned that. I like Meltzer's first arc, although I do think it suffered from a very cliquey writing style. Yeah. It had everybody refer to everybody else with their first name, which was fine for Clark and Bruce and Diana, but left me a bit confused with some of the other characters. It was good art, though. I enjoyed that one. Is that the Tornado's yeah. Path? Yeah. I like that one. I wasn't as much a fan of the Lightning Saga. I prefer the Lightning Saga. Did you? Yeah. See, I, it's, it starts, it crossed over into another book, which I've just mentioned, so I won't rant about that again. But I didn't think the writing or the art was a strong Injustice Society of America. And it just brought the story to a grinding halt. Mm. And plus it was written by Jeff Johns. And again, it just seemed like he was setting up bigger stories down the road rather than concentrating on telling a decent story. I read it without the setups and stuff because I'd only read that and not 
this new Krypton or Legion of Three Worlds or anything and stuff. Right. So I okay. just read that and I still liked it. Alright, fair enough. After this, he went... After this, he then went on to write two more issues to wrap his run before Dwayne McDuffie took over. This is one of those two issues. As with all of Meltzer's issues since Identity Crisis, it is covered by Michael Turner. Turner, when not drawing a crying Superman, always <laughs> dished out the goods. And this cover to me is no exception. It's dark, very dark even, and the main image is also so small it's only taking up just over half of the, uh, the cover. It shows the heroes of the issue, Arsenal and Vixen, lying under a pile of rubble. Arsenal has now had his arm cut off. And his daughter killed. Oh, man! I hate Dandy Dio. She was only like a little baby. I know, she's only a baby! Yeah. Oh, all new, all different, all rapey, baby-killing DC Comics. Shocking. Mm. Um, it is quite a striking cover, with very good use of black, unusually for a Turner cover. It doesn't feature someone with a ridiculous square jaw or a skinny-looking woman with unfeasibly large boobs. It does have Vixen's boobs front and centre, though, <laughs> it has to be said. But, you know, whatever, fair enough. The issue starts with crowds outside, telling the story of how Dr. Polaris crushed a building into the Potomac. Well, there's a Potomac, anyway. It's the Potomac River. Oh, okay. It's in Washington, D.C. And while saving people, Arsenal and Vixen, members of the newly formed JLA, were caught inside the collapsing building. The images slowly come clear as Arsenal gains consciousness. He panics and realises he has glass in his neck and his hands. He slowly calms and hears Vixen call. He asks where she is, without knowing there were only arms length away from each other. I did like that bit. Did you? Yeah, that they were right near each other but couldn't see each other properly. Mm. Very clever. He tells her to follow his voice, and when she screams at him, telling him she's got her going to fall, he tells her to close her eyes as they're working too hard to search for light. Whilst panicking, Vixen realises that it's the metal and lead that's stopping Superman from knowing where they are. Or Clark, because they all refer yeah. to each other by the first names. She tells Arsenal that she uh, can't dig because she can't move her arms. He hands her an arrow to dig and a glue arrow in case they hit water. Which is quite clever. It is. As she digs, water sprays out and she covers it with the glue arrow and Arsenal says that's their way out. But Vixen says they couldn't make it. She, sa uh, she can't use the fish's powers because she hasn't had her powers since the fight with Amazon. Arsenal comes to a realisation that he's been leeching off her over people's powers. When Arsenal asks whose powers does she have now, she says she has black lightnings, which would kill them both if she used them. Lightning and water. Mm. Don't really mix electricity really. and water, does it? Arsenal tells her to swim up with an arrow line, and once she gets in the range of fish, she'll be able to save them both. However, she says that if she drowns, the powers won't come back, and that she and that they'll both die, and she refuses to let them both die. She swims up and closes off the hole with the blue arrow, Soon, she swims down to Arsenal. She says the depth is much is too much for swimming in. As Arsenal prays, he notices the water on his head. Then he realises they've been upside down all along. He tells Vixen to get up, and that they're upside down. And they swim to the surface, back up to the crowds. Very good. I like so in other words, just two dudes get out of a crush building. Yes, but, you know, it was good. It was. Yeah. Um, leaving how they got in that situation up to the reader by only using the crowd details is a good way of setting up the story without taking too much room for the main story itself. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I agree with that. Starting the story after the actual incident that trapped them is a really good storytelling device because the story isn't about how this happened, but how they get out of it and how they react to it. 
Mm. William Goldman. Is it William Goldman? Screenwriter said, you always start your story as far into the story as you possibly can. You can always fill people in as to what happened later. So, so yeah. So the advice Quentin Tarantino uses? Yes. Very true. Um, I'm also not a fan of Gene Ha! But I think his art for this issue was a better choice than Ed Bean's. Yes, probably. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of the painting art style in this book. It's very good art, mm. very technically accomplished, but it reminds me of those old picture stories that used to be in girls' comics when I was a kid. They were old strips in which they had real photographs with word balloons on them, normally telling some riveting story about a girl being cheated on by a boy. Fascinating. Uh, Viz used to send them up brilliantly. Okay. Some old Viz. They were real photos of yeah. actors going... <laughs> and then they'd put balloons on and they were always in girls' didn't comics. Sean Phillips starts off doing one of them. He won't have done actual photo ones unless no, he's he a photographer. No, he did start off with a girls' comic did like he? that. He yeah. started in girls' comics. I was talking to him about it at one time. Cool. Um, I also like how the panel outlines change shape as the building shape. Yeah, that's especially good use of panel borders mm. and panel structures the story progresses to give the reader a good sense of claustrophobia. Um showing whose powers vixens leached off how and when was very good but it seems like a tiny little bit of let's make this issue more dramatic by changing the characters suddenly with no hints that it's actually happened before this issue but I thought they did set up vixens power leeching did they? or am I confusing it with the Injustice League art that followed Meltzer's run I'm not sure because I've read them all this past week yeah I'm not I don't remember uh, it being in there I can't remember it I know was, it's in there yeah but I don't remember if it's before this or after this now because I've read them all. Big shock to Arsenal in this because he didn't know. Yeah, but I think they've been setting it up. Had they? I think uh, I can't remember now. I don't remember because mm. I've not read it uh, as soon as you had. Um, I like how the uh, reader had to move the issue around as the characters realised they're upside down. <laughs> I thought that was a bit irritating. It's alright with this comic, but when it's stuff like your hardback shit... Yeah, you know, it's quite irritating. Especially with uh, one of my... Yeah, it's fine with the comic. Yeah, but when you've got stuff like... One of my absolutes, for example, you have to twist it around for, and then you got to hold it like that for a good couple of pages. No. It's quite awkward, yeah. Um, uh, I like how the issue is quite an ambiguous end. It's not really that ambiguous to get out. Well, what I meant was how <laughs> what happens after that. It's like what happens to them after they get out. Yeah, because this isn't addressed in issue twelve. No, Monitor Duty, which is Bread Maltz's last issue, and it's not mentioned in the Injustice League arc afterwards. Fair. So yeah, they don't really talk about it much afterward. Um, on the whole, I thought this was a very good issue. Meltzer builds the entire story up about two people trapped together and as Vixen confront her fears about her powers and Roy helps her pull through. Claustrophobic stories where characters have to confront their inner demons normally work because they're little character studies and these always work well in comics and on TV. This plays a little like 127 Days Later and the title, as with the best works of fiction, has a double meaning, playing off the walls that are trapping Arsenal and Vixen and the walls that have Vixen has erected around herself from her teammates. Nice to see Meltzer can do one-issue stories as well, mm. instead of going on for years. You know, there's a story about this uh, little issue in this podcast. I was going to do Deadpool issue one the day before I did the notes, which was like two days ago. Mm. Changed my mind, <clears throat> because I saw this in a pile, thought it looked rather cool, but didn't read it. So the first time I read this was doing the notes for the podcast. Fair enough. Yeah. Spontaneity is good. Alas, however... We will not be doing spontaneity for the next, ooh, however long. 
because, basically, a couple of episodes ago, I announced that because work was hellish at the minute, we were going to do random issues because we didn't have time to plan big, long event stuff. But we've actually realised that this is harder work just coming up with one issue because you spend forever thinking about which one you're going to do. So, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a big... We're going to tackle a big, big, long story arc. Big, big. Big, long. Michael's actually genuinely excited about doing that. Bigger than Blackest Night. We can't do Death of Superman, because From Crisis to Crisis is doing that. I like Death of and Superman. Le- well, yeah, but they've earned the right to do that first, I think, because they've started at the beginning. <laughs> so I've come in and usurp them at this point. Can I have a five-year-old strop now? Wouldn't be very classy, <laughs> would it? And we did think about doing the Spider-Man clone saga... But we one, don't we all. don't have it all, because that's we one of the crap. few times I dropped Spider-Man. I know, but doing something that's crap would be fun. It's just wrecking. But there is also um, a podcast by, I think it's Joshua Bertoni and Donovan Grant, called the Spider-Man Clone Podcast. Okay. Clone Saga Podcast, something like that. Do they have, like, multiple ones? Yes, they have multiple variations of the same yeah. show, but with a different cover, uh, covering the... Clone Sag, so we couldn't do that. Right. So we've decided, starting next week, we're going to start covering Batman Nightfall. Ooh. I think it's exciting. I quite like that. Okay. So we hope that you can enjoy... We've not decided if we're going to do Night's Quest and Night's End. I think we should. And then Prodigal. I think we And Troika. I think And all the should. other stuff that happened along the way. But we're going to definitely do Nightfall yep. for the next couple of weeks. And when we do Hey Kids Comments Couch Protect Me in August... We're still going to do an issue of Nightfall, if we're still doing it by then. Oh, yes. Whichever one we're up to when we get there. I suppose so, It's yeah. quite a long story. It is. And if we're only going to do two or three issues per show... It took me how long to read? Like four days? Yeah, we're, we're very looking forward to it, though, so I hope you enjoy that. The only problem with that is we'll be turned into a Batman podcast for a bit. We'll have to do something else after that. Yeah. How will we do a Garth Ennis episode after that? Okay. Okay, well, we'll find that. Feedback is uh, gratefully received. If you want to suggest something that we do, oh, that will open. Well. I mean, obviously, yes. Obviously, we have to actually have whatever you're asking us to do. Or you could send us. Or you, know, you could send us whatever you want us to do. I'm not. I'm not averse to that. If you want to give us free yeah. comics, <laughs> um, at some point we do want to do Marvels. Mm. Uh, just giving you a peek behind the curtain. At some point, we do want to do um, Torment, the Todd McFarlane run. And at some point, we do want to do Wolverine, Old Man Logan. But they're all big shows for later on down the line, aren't they? Mm. Starting next week, Nightfall. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? Hey, Kids Comics! See you then. Bye! Bye. Hey, Kids Comics is And the Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do Production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com. You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about, www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. And the show can be emailed directly at haykidscomics at virginmedia.com. If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else. Mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Come.